purpose isn't about what you do. It doesn't come from you as an individual. It comes up and through you from the animate world, um, just like it comes up and through everything in a forest. When we open ourselves with the, for the animate force to come up and through us, it animates our bodies and utilises us to support the whole to thrive. And that is the thing that gives us the most sense of fulfilment. Instead of being this individual moving along in your life and feeling like you have to do the things and think of all the ways that you can be of service and instead as the animate rises up and through you, you tap into this collective consciousness, not groupthink, this is like embodied consciousness. Your movements begin to reflect a greater reciprocity with the whole. You're inspired or you're animated by that. Welcome, beautiful soul, to the Weaving the Wild podcast. In this space, we are reclaiming and remembering the wildish wisdom and knowledge that lies deep within our bones and reconnecting to those parts of ourselves that are both ancient and familiar. We talk about it all, awakening our collective wildness and dropping back into our bodies honoring our cyclical rhythms, connecting to our roots, embracing our intuitive nature and living embodied within the feminine. I'm Rachel Hodgins and I'm honoured to be walking this path beside you. Let's dive in. Brittany Laidlaw is a somatic ecologist rewilding mentor and accredited way practitioner with over 11 years of experience leading embodied nature connection programs. Her work and research explores ways of relating to and restoring living ecologies through the body. Britt also holds a master's of environment in somatic ecology as well as various certifications in rewilding, permaculture, village building and the women's mysteries. Now, Brit offers various programs that specifically focus on midwifing the dormant potential within women by remembering the wild feminine. Her work guides women through the earthed framework, which is something that Brit has developed herself and something we, we certainly dive into in this episode, which is an experiential map for conversing with the body, soul, and nature by integrating knowledge of somatics, neuroscience, ecology, and mythology, as well as first-hand experience that Brit has gained while working with indigenous knowledge keepers and world-renowned experts within the rewilding movement. I was positively giddy throughout this conversation. This is like the delicious weaving of nuanced and embodied understanding of what it means to live and walk the path of earth-based beings on this earth. Brute's approach is so very grounded. It's so here on and of this earth. This is probably one of my favorite conversations that I've, I've ever recorded on this podcast. And I think you can hear it in my voice. I get very excitable when I find myself in conversations like this. And honestly, I could, I could have talked to Brit all day. In this episode, we talk about how Brit's love of both dance and ecology led her to the field of ecosomatics. We talk about what ecosomatics actually is and its roots in deep ecology and animism, as well as the somatic approach that the body is a source of knowing. 
We talk about what Brit has learned through being on country with Australian First Nations people, as well as her insights that she's gained within her own personal vision quests out in nature. Brit walks us through the earthed framework, which is something that she has developed as a pathway or an experiential map for coming home to and conversing with the body, soul and nature, all based upon Brit's own PhD research. We talk about what it means to live and flow with purpose with the capital P and Brit's take on this is quite different to most of the the personal development world and I, I love it. There's a weaving thread throughout this whole conversation around belonging and how to find our place once more. And one of my favorite parts of this conversation is where we talk about death as the greatest experience of belonging. And Britt actually shares an incredible story of realization that happened when she was out on a solo camp trip one time. We also talk about the four ancestral skills that make up the sacred order of survival and why fire making is one of the most powerful learning experiences for women in the rewilding programs that Britt teaches. Britt also talks about why you want to start looking at your relationship to light as an eco-somatic practice of earth connection and finding a deep sense of belonging as well as vitality. Plus, so much more. This conversation is positively dripping with wisdom and medicine and I hope you find as much within it for you as, as I did for me. If it does, please share it. I would love to see this episode reach far and wide. You can take a screenshot any point while you're listening and be sure to tag myself at the Rachel Hodgins and Brit at Brittany Jane Laylaw over on Instagram. Let us know. Let us know what lands for you, what moves within you as you listen. We would love to hear. All the links that I mentioned throughout this episode can be found in the show notes. And now let's dive in and welcome the incredible Brit Laidlaw. Welcome to the show, Brit. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being welcomed onto your amazing podcast. I love the community of people that you have interviewed and that are associated with your work. So I'm very grateful to be here. Oh, I I am so excited to have you here and to have this conversation. I feel like this is, it's so up my alley. So I feel like it's also a conversation that's not, um, it's not had a whole lot. And so I'm really, really excited to bring this and I'm really excited to hear what everyone who tunes in and listens to um, kind of like receives and, and what kind of stirs for them as, they, as they're listening to. So, oh, I just want to dive straight in. I'm like, I'm so excited. I, I think like, let's actually just do that. When we were first sort of speaking, just like in emails and things like that, the thing that really like sung to me, like I read these words, you said you were speaking about something that you've developed within your own work called the earthed framework. And again, these are your words. You said it's this ecosomatic framework for coming home to the body and nature. Mm. I reckon if we, can we start there? Can we talk about and unpack first what you mean by ecosomatics and then how does this weave into and what is the earthed framework? I'd absolutely love to. Thank you for the invitation. So I got onto this topic of ecosomatics probably by accident, I would say. 
<laughs> and it came through from my own passion from movement and dance. I come from a background where I was a professional dancer when I was um, very young, but kind of came to dance as a more healing modality in my in my 20s and had this passion for movement, but then found more of a career in ecology and environmental work. And I came across this um, a crossroads of where I had to choose, okay, do I continue down this dance path, which is giving me so much nourishment, it's really healing for my own path, or do I go down this road of ecology? And I was in my master's at the time and I was having the opportunity to choose my thesis topic. And I had an epiphany one day where I thought, wow, what if I could just merge them? And as I, as I dove down this wormhole of what that would look like, I discovered this small area of research that is now growing more and more around the world called ecosomatics. And I mean small as in there was probably a dozen people around the world looking at this. It's very, very rare that anyone was looking at it. I'm kind of the only person that's really looking at it in Australia. And, and now I'm very grateful to say that more and more people are talking about this topic of ecosomatics and it's becoming more of a, a pathway for socio-ecological regeneration. And what ecosomatics actually is, is it merges two areas of research and practice. And one of those is called deep ecology. And deep ecology understands that we are interconnected with all living beings. We are a part of a much wider ecology of life and that life has its own animism. So the trees, the ocean, the clouds, the insects, they aren't just things or objects. Nature's not just a backdrop. It has a consciousness. There's an animism that we can connect to, that we can learn from. And deep ecology as a field says that there is an animate force that we are connected to and that in that in that wider web of ecology we have a role just like all living beings have a role in in ecology and then it merges that with the field of somatics and somatics understands the body is a source of knowing it's a source of understanding the world and it is a, a let's say, a remedy to the mind-body dualism, which says the mind is our identity, the mind is superior, the mind is better, and instead it says, no, the body actually has a unique um, way of knowing, a way of being, and it's really important and valuable. And the most simple example of this is like our gut knowing or our gut instinct. And so ecosomatics brings these two fields together and says, well, the way in which we understand and importantly practice our relationship with the animate world so we feel and know our place in the wider web of the world is through our bodies. It's not through our mind. It's not through thinking our way to connection. It's through our bodies. And my research particularly started working a lot with different First Nations communities in Australia. Um, my journey has taken all different um, pathways, but one of those has, I've been very grateful to sit and learn from different First Nations peoples around the continent. And in my time sitting and learning and observing, I noticed some of these core principles and that were correlating to my own experiences of being out in the wild and doing my own practices and ways of connecting through my body and rather than trying to uh, copy or to take um, a model from somebody else or somebody else's culture I thought 
is there a way that I can create a pathway that all human beings can uh, practice in their lives, like a framework or something that um, may provide like a step-by-step process to how we come back? Because I knew what living in connection looked like. I had this living model of it from people that I'd seen in these communities that were still living out on country. That's not to romanticise a particular culture or peoples, but I I had seen it modelled, so I knew what it looked like. And then I knew where 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 I felt that I was as a kind of modern Western woman disconnected from my own ancestral lands that didn't feel like I was living that kind of cyclical relationship with nature in, um, at the time. And I thought, well, what is the, what's the bridge? How do we, uh, how do we make that leap um, back into the way of life that all humans have lived without taking anybody else's uh, way of doing that? And I sat with nature. I received a lot of information, like a lot of embodied information just from being. There's things like vision questing and just going out for wild wanders. And through that, the Earth Framework was born. And the Earth Framework is a combination of ecological knowledge from my time just sitting and learning about the way nature's cycles work and the way they, the pattern language that they communicate with us. It also merges mythology. So what are the ancient stories that actually reveal these really consistent or persistent archetypal patterns that we can also follow? There's information in these myths from all over the world. And it also um, looks at somatics. So what do we know about the body and um, even neuroscience? And there's I'm like stretching myself and looking at quantum physics and all the things that <laughs> my research has led me to do. But that's how I created the framework and then it's been kind of affirmed from my work continuing with First Nations culture in my PhD. Okay. So I I want to I want to talk about like what is the, the framework then and I want to unpack that a little bit. But as you're sharing, I'd love to hear a little bit more as well around like you, you know, as you said, without wanting to romanticize it, but you were witnessing this kind of um model almost like that the living demonstration having kind of witnessed you know first nations people on on country um mm. living on land and also your own experience in you know vision questing being on the land being in in nature and that embodied sort of um space i suppose and receiving information i'd really love to kind of hear like what is it that you were witnessing both mm. in, in in you know people on country and also on on vision quest like when we hear people say I was I, you know I did vision quest I sat in nature and I received the information and it's just like oh it just came to me like what does it mean you know, like for those who are listening and like hell oh, how do you do that or what are you actually like looking for or paying attention to what was it that came through for you and how were you kind of receiving that information mm. I would say it never came as a lightning bolt, which is often the thing that people hope for it to come as, you know, like yeah. oh, I only had this epiphany and I finally realised, you know, that the earth framework was born in one yeah. second. <laughs> and yeah. sadly that's not how it was. And my experiences of sitting and learning, whether it be from different cultures or my own experiences in nature, it kind of came as breadcrumbs and the modelling came as little bits that I've just kind of folded in and gone, oh, that's interesting information It fits here. Mm. And many examples that I can give, but some that come to the top of my mind is 
the idea of kinship. So I would say the pinnacle of the Western um, way of living and being and thinking is this mind-body separation or this mind-body dualism. They call it Cartesian dualism. And that started with uh, Descartes, which is a philosopher, um, an old philosopher that said, I think, therefore I am. Mm. And it really cemented this idea that we are our mind and the mind is separate from the body. And that separation of mind and body, even though we think, oh, no, I'm, I'm connected to my body, I, I do lots of dance, or I do lots of exercise, it's very surprising when you see start to see how much this is conditioned into our way of being. Um, and that separation of the mind and body lays the foundation for human separation from nature. And one of the key principles in ecosomatics says that we cannot heal our relationship with nature until we heal our relationship, uh, that split internally between the mind and the body. And what I would observe in different First Nations cultures or when I was out in nature is that there was no sense of separateness or an idea of uh, a hierarchical relationship where anything is more important than the other or more valuable than the other. And to the degree where language, the language that was used, we talk about on nature as if it's this thing out there and we go camping on the weekends to visit nature. And instead, the language that I observed in different cultures was around like you and, and giving names and giving a he or a him and giving the kind of personification. And some people say that's what's called anthropomorphizing, which is putting human qualities on um, non-human or more than human beings. But in this sense, it was kind of useful because it, it recognised the animism of a place and that recognition of animism said, well, if you're a conscious being and we're all part of this much wider conscious being, which is country, well, then we're all connected and we all actually are just as valuable uh, as, as each other. So that idea of kinship and connection based on the recognition of animism was a, was a big one. Um, relationship to emotions was a really big one. So like when people would do um, sorry business is a really great example. And I can't speak, I'm not a First Nations woman, so I can't speak to the extent of, um, of things because there's areas where I won't understand. But I will say things that I've observed is the, is the complete approval of emotional release and emotional movement. And what that does is it actually creates space internally for the animate to move up and through us. So I remember when I was studying with John Young and he talked about the Kalahari Bushmen would have grief rituals five out of seven nights of the week. And it did, wasn't this kind of like big show, but it was a recognition that humans experience emotion. It's just like, an, it's like going to the toilet. It, it's a really important part of our daily experience. And we need opportunities to actually move that energy because it creates space then for something to move up and through us. And that, that thing that moves up and through us is our sense of purpose, our sense of connectivity. We become, when we have a, a clear container, let's say, or an, or an open and spacious container of our body because we're free of the stuck energy of emotions, we become a, an available container, our bodies become an available container for the animate, for the earth, 
to rise up and through us. And when it does, it communicates our role, it, it harnesses our passions and allows us to live those. And so another vital thing that I observed or modelled in those cultures and when I go out in nature is that every single living being, every human in those cultures understands their purpose, understands their unique soul uh, essence, understands why they're here. There's no questioning of that. There's no sense of panic or fear of like, I don't actually have a purpose or a role. And I hear this all the time from many, many humans is, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is. And that was not something ever questioned because it was so that process of allowing the animate to flow up and through was done from such a young age in many of those cultures that understood that purpose isn't about what you do. It doesn't come from you as an individual. It comes up and through you from the animate world, um, just like it comes up and through everything in a forest. It's like the tree doesn't like, maybe I'll be a tree today and this will be my a great job for me. It's like, no, the earth rises up and through and and uses the tree to support the whole living, breathing ecology to thrive. And humans are exactly the same. When we open ourselves with the, for the animate force to come up and through us, it animates our bodies and use, utilises us to support the whole to thrive. And that is the thing that gives us the most sense of fulfilment. So they, those are some things that are like just a few that I would observe that are all woven into the earth framework. But yeah, it's so complex because the earth framework is, it's like a every little section of it is wormholes. But that's, I suppose, three things that just come off the top of my head that have been modeled that have woven in. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I just love even like so much of that I can totally feel how so much of it's gathered as breadcrumbs. It's not a thing where you just sit in this, like, this, you know, the, the heavens open and, like, this finger comes down and points and, like, reveals a, a massive truth of the universe to you. It's just a moment of, of like, recognition. And I, I, I even in my, like, my own experience just being in my garden, I see that all the time. Sometimes I just work sitting out on the grass or something and you look up and it's just like... It's only if you see it in the right light, it's like a little swarm of like the most tiny, like minuscule little insects, like, mm. you know, just a, like just above head height and they're just doing their thing. And I'm like, I have no idea what you were doing, but <laughs> you are here just doing your thing. And you are, and I've had that thought as well. Like, you're not questioning what you're like, what you're here for. You're just doing your thing, little insects. And the same with the, the birds that come in every morning. It seems like a, such a simple existence. Like every morning they come into the same garden and like search for their worms and their insects and the, the nectar and everything. And that's their existence. That's their purpose is to be moving in accordance to their rhythm essentially. Mm. Um, and I just think it's so beautiful. Like, yes, thank you for sharing all of that. And I would really, really love We've spoken a couple of times now about the earth framework. Could you break this down for us then? So all of these breadcrumbs coming together um, mm -hmm. in combination as you were sort of sharing like with the, your PhD now and like I think this is, I'm assuming this is where the earth framework was sort of coming from as well where it's like what would it mean to bring this together in, in an orderly blueprint essentially that we can, we can look at and follow? What mm -hmm. does the earth framework involve? What are the bones of it? Yeah, I love that question. What are the bones? Because in mythology, bones refer to the soul. <laughs> it's like the thing that 
So what is the soul of the Earth Framework? Um, it's funny because the Earth Framework actually came in like a stream of consciousness maybe, I won't say a decade, but I'll say probably about seven years ago, but I had to live it. It's like I had got the, I got the information, but I actually hadn't had it embodied um, myself and it's been a process over the years to do that. And so I had an idea of the Earth Framework before I went into my PhD and going into my PhD with it, I thought I actually want to, I want to see if this is legit and have the spacious time to be able to put that into practice and have it backed by a lot of other research as well. And so the Earth Framework, the very beginnings of it actually came about when I started to work um, with a few different mentors. Jane Hardwick Collings was a big influence who does a lot of work around the women's mysteries. And combining in my work in rewilding, so I was learning a lot of ancestral skills, doing a lot of sit spots and spending a lot of time out in nature just observing. And I started to realise there was this consistent pattern that showed up over and over and over in all living bodies, the living body of the sun, of the moon, of the plant cycle, of the menstrual cycle, of the testosterone cycle, of our life cycle. There was these consistent patterns and that they correlated perfectly with the patterns in myth. So we go to all these ancient stories and we talk, we, we talk about these um, processes of transformation that are encoded into myths and they had this same pattern. And so I started to decipher the pattern language that what is the, what is the pattern or what is the uh, this pathway, the journey that the moon is going on every cycle? What's the sun doing every cycle? What's the plants doing every cycle? What's the our menstrual cycle doing every cycle? And I started to piece together these key energetic themes of as it, as we you know traveled around that cycle. And from that, I created an acronym and I kind of laughed when I realised that the acronym turned out to be EARTHED. And it stands for Energy, Allies, Remember, as in Re-Member, Transmute, Harvest, Emergence and Digest. And Energy stands for the beginning of, a, the, beginning of the cycle now, in reality, there's no beginning or end. Everything just keeps spiraling around. But for the sake of having a point to to begin our journey, um, for practice sake, the, the the start of that is energy, and it understands that how we do beginnings matters. How we do beginnings sets the energetic trajectory of what will unfold over the following cycle. This is why what happens when we're what we're doing and thinking and saying during our bleeding time as women, our menstrual cycle, those day one to three or however long you bleed, it's really critical for what energetic tone is then set for the rest of your cycle. Um, it's why our childhood imprinting and our experiences and our nervous system play a very big role. It's, you know, you think about how a seed is treated when we plant it in the garden will influence what kind of plant grows. So beginnings matter. And it also, in this section of the framework, we understand how energy tracks throughout a cycle and therefore how we can harness that for our benefit. But it's also really important, this part is about the different, learning the difference between intention and desire or longing. Intention is like, I, I want this thing and I'm going to step a, B, C to get there. And it's very, it's like you've got a you've got a bullseye target and you're wanting to head to that. 
And whilst that is really useful, um, what I have learned is that it can in some ways be individualistic and be still perpetuating this mindset of separation because you are forgetting about all of the animate forces that actually want to come and support and assist you and maybe have a different plan for you than your mind can, different than your mind can conceive. And so it's actually, this part is actually learning how to open and, and connect with our deeper desire, which is not about com what I call comp compensatory desire. So for example, I'll use an example in my own life. Compensatory desire would be, I really want a partner. I really want a loving relationship. The true desire would be questioning, well, what do I think that relationship will give me? What am I actually seeking? What's the much deeper truth? And that is, I, tr I want to feel love. I want to experience love. And maybe, I don't know, maybe if I'm open, if I really speak that deeper desire, life will present me with a multitude of experiences that give me the thing that I truly desire, but I was just limiting myself to this tiny little window of possibility. And so this part of the framework is about getting really clear on our desire and allow and opening ourselves to the earth to actually bring that. So instead of the analogy I often use is instead of being like shooting towards a bullseye and saying, I'm going to only hit there, it's actually learning how to become the target and magnetizing the arrow towards you. And so that's E. It, there's each section is more and more complex, but I'm just covering some of the basics. And then we go into A, which is about allies. And this is learning all the different energetic support systems that are available to us that support us on this journey of reconnection, reconnection to our body, reconnection to nature, and reconnecting to our soul or our purpose in the world. And that's really what the Earth Framework is about, those three things. And any myth, when you look at any myth, when the main protagonist sets off on their journey, they have allies that show up, that come and support and offer guidance in those really tricky moments. And so this framework, this part of the framework goes into all the different allies that we can call on. And that's a lot about the nervous system. So funnily enough, each of the allies start with A. Um, and so that's our alpha, an alpha brainwave state, our amygdala, got our animate, I'm sorry, our animal ally or the animate allies, We've got astrological allies and our animus and anima. I think that's all that I've got to cover. And all of these, having an understanding of all of these, they can be called in for support on our journey in those crunchy moments. And this part of the framework is really critical because, again, it's learning how to open our nervous system and like increase our receptivity so that whatever we experience on this journey of reconnection, because we do have to go down into the underworld, that part of this journey, is we actually have the capacity to integrate it. We're coming in with an open receptive nervous system and we're not actually coming in um, potential, having the potential to re-traumatise or push further than our body can actually handle and we're, it's, we're allowing it to seep in properly. So that's that what section is about. The R is remember, and it's not about remembering with your mind. Um, member here refers to the body. Um, and so this part of the framework is actually learning how to deeply reconnect with the language of your body. Um, there's a lot about sensuality and sexuality and how um, 
historically those things have been shamed or looked at and how they've actually led to a lot of the disconnection from our bodies how they've often um, related to a lot of fear that we have around reconnecting to my bodies because there's a lot of shame about even being the fact that we are sensual creatures like we innately we are sensual creatures that is how we connect and relate to the world um, that is how we bond with the natural world that's how we bond with others is through our sensual bodies so this part of the framework is about remembering and really understanding that you know that might looking at how that mind-body separation has led us to, to not be able to feel those things. And so this is like learning how to feel, learning how to map our own pleasure, learning how to um, interpret and feel what our body's sharing with us. And then we move to TH, transmute and harvest. It's like imagine you're starting to really feel all the things in your body. You're starting to become that central creature again. And then you start to feel things that you haven't felt for a long time. And it's often down there is the stored emotion, the stored pain. And this is on that map when we talk about these patterns in, in nature. The remember is kind of like the is synonymous with the full moon, the full sun, the full bloom of a flower. It's right at the top of the cycle. If we want to think that ascension part of the cycle. Um, and so after after that remember we start our descent just like the moon begins its descent after the full moon so does the sun so does the flowers so does our menstrual cycle and that descent um, takes us to th which is transmute and harvest and as you can probably guess by the words <laughs> it's starting to transmute all of that stagnant energy all of that stagnant pain or emotion um, and starting to move that, not by pushing it out, by rejecting it, but funnily enough, allowing it all the way in to al and, and alchemizing it, learning how to alchemize our greatest wounds into our most treasured gifts. And that is the harvest of that process. Um, ironically, when we talk, of, when we put, place this on the wheel, this time is synonymous with like autumn time so it's like the harvest of the fruits the harvest of the things that will nourish us through our journey and so this harvest is yeah harvesting the insights the knowing the the gifts that are available to us there and it's the like, like the composting process of what no longer serves and then we get to e emergence such a precious time emergence is that place that silent void that when you've you will know it by when you've had a really good cry and suddenly you feel that ah oh, that spaciousness like that great release and there's this silence there's no mind chatter there's this like peaceful void and from that place something emerges and that is a core principle in nature is that something something new can only emerge from space you know, when a tree falls down in the forest and suddenly lets a few, lets new light in, it's like the space that that dead tree created is the thing that creates space for a new tree to emerge. And we are no different. And this part of the framework is the place where we have the potential for that soul essence to actually rise up and through us. Our bodies have become the appropriate container for the animate to come up and through us. And this is where we have the big insights or the big knowings or um, we have this experience of getting familiar with our soul because it's, this is like the point of being. 
It's that, that precious emergence time. And it's also called emergence because in science there's a, um, a phenomenon where a single bird will behave very different to a flock of birds or a single ant will behave very different to a, a colony of ants. And what they understand that is is that when a, a single bird joins a flock, there is a collective consciousness that arises where there's this deep sense of connectivity and instead of moving as an individual, it starts to tune into the movement of all the others and moves in accordance with what will be of best service to the flock. And so that's what this principle of emergence is also about. It's like instead of being this individual moving along in your life and feeling like you have to do the things and think of all the ways that you can be of service because that's what every human wants is like we all actually really want to be of service. Um, and instead you, you tap into as the animate rises up and through you, you tap into this collective consciousness, not groupthink. This is like embodied consciousness. Yeah. Uh, and you start to, um, your movements begin to reflect a greater reciprocity with the whole. Um, and you're, you're inspired or you're um, animated by that, let's say. And then D is around digest, the very critical integration phase, which most people forget. <laughs> And, and digestion um, is, as it says, it's allowing that experience to digest, to filter in, to integrate and actually transform your cells to transform at some level or the potential here is to start transforming your DNA and, and allowing this consciousness to stabilise. And I have a very strong allyship with the snake or the olive python to be more particular and Python has told me when you take in so much information or experience, it opens up its jaw when it eats something, like dislocates its jaw literally, and it consumes this other animal and then it's got this big bump um, where it's, you know, in its digestion phase and that digestion phase is actually its most vulnerable time and it's its most vulnerable time because it can't really defend itself and it's it's in this kind of sensitive place where um, some, you know, something new is occurring in that like it's taking in nutrients and therefore something is unfolding internally and we are no different and that means that this particular phase requires a lot of guardianship, a lot of um, protection around us. It's like when you come back from a very potent um, experience, whether that be a, a ceremony or a vision quest, like what you experienced is so sacred that it needs a bit of protection around it. It needs some guardianship. And that may look like um, maybe be as simple as not sharing it all straight away, but also what things, what boundaries do you need to put in your life that you can actually protect how sacred this thing is that you now have inside of you? And what changes need to be made for this thing to be fully digested in you and integrated into who you become? So that's that's the earth framework and we cycle around it over and over again. <laughs> that is the cycles of life. But that's um, like semi-comprehensive in terms of uh, for a podcast format, but it is, uh, it's a good dose, I think, to give you an understanding of that journey that we take to come back into embodied relationship with, with the wild internally and externally. And, uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share that. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I I adore this. So and and as you're speaking, I'm I'm sort of hearing and seeing 
all these different cycles and like all these like ways in which again like you said we've we've got all of these different cycles that we we are part of and that we can witness and look at um and all of these like points within the earth framework are woven through them and i like i can see it in the the zodiacal wheel even like in astrology like this initiatory energy of aries and then we move through and it's you know the the wheel of the the year in terms of astrology is it's it's also the hero's journey you know it's also this journey of it's a process of a soul individuating and then coming back into the whole and the collective like and i think i'm sort of receiving that in in what i'm hearing of the earth framework too where this is process of know thyself like mm. like uh, this continual process of like meeting yourself knowing yourself and that is a process of individuation like what is mine who am i um in order to then kind of clear and unravel and re- and kind of return ourselves back to that sort of simplicity of the collective and it's like that that, that emergent stage and i love like i'm almost seeing um you know it's funny like it's it's almost like as you were sharing it's like this like two peaks in the cycle almost and i think sometimes when we sort of come at these cycles especially think of something like the moon cycle or all the the menstrual cycle there's a lot of talk around this ovulation energy full moon energy whether the energy peaks you know mm-hmm. and it's that point that i think we can often sort of assume like, well, that's where I'm meant to be. That's the point where I'll, I'll get the thing that I want, right? Like the thing that I'm I'm after, that I'm seeking, like that's when I'm going to magnetize it. It's going to come to me sort of thing. But it's not just about witnessing. It's not just understanding intellectually. But when, we, when we're really sort of, I suppose, living and embodying the cycle, we start to kind of realize and, and feel how those particular energies, especially full moon energy, is it's a time of illumination. It's revealing, you know. And actually the point of receiving, that point of like uh, receiving in a way that feels deeper, more grounding, clearer, it comes after. It comes when you're not looking for it, essentially. It is in that sort of waning phase, that harvest phase, the autumn phase. Um, and I think we feel that even in like seasonally, like summer is such a, a high vibrational energy. Like you and I here in it right now, we are recording this episode on the summer solstice here in Australia, which is just incredible. Um, <laughs> but summer overall is a time of like high vibrational energy, sure. But there always seems to come a time and it's around that kind of um, you know, that shift towards Lamasol Nunasol, sort of if you're looking at the wheel of the year, that sort of time of February kind of shifting towards March here in Australia. It will be the opposite for, for those in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but where it's still summer, but the energy kind of shifts and there's a slowness about it. And it's less about like ascent like everything around like even looking at the plants and veggie garden everything it's less about like this rapid growth up 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 towards the light and it's just sort of starts to simmer it just Mm. starts to level out and you can sort of like you have this opportunity again to find your feet you know like it's like i just can come back down to earth a little bit and then that's that's the turning, you know, to towards the descent as well. So it's just, yeah, I went on a little bit of ramble there, but like I I just really love 
the way in which so all of these pieces that you've taken as these breadcrumbs witnessing in so many ways in so many forms and variations of the cycle like the wheel turning so to speak um and it is it's it's this beautiful ancient primordial pattern like the blueprint you know oh i love it so much i wonder them i want to say actually while before i ask the next question is you're so right in that um the high value for the ascension part of the model mm. or the ascension part of the wheel let's say and that kind of uh celebration of summer as the as the peak this is what we've all been working towards we're here yeah. and in some ways that's devaluing the descent part and i used to actually call the earth framework the feminine path of of rewilding or having these feminine path um of coming back to the body and nature i don't call it that anymore because i funnily enough i'm actually working with men to integrate it with men as well um and more uh, seeing how the masculine and feminine energies merge and meet in this cycle, which um, just like how they do in nature. But the reason why I called it that originally is because I think the medicine, the big medicine in the earth framework is the valuation of the descent and actually seeing that is the part of the cycle where we generate, where we have the most healing it's where soul comes through. It's the regenerative part of the cycle. And it's the mm -hmm. part often missed when we have these conversations around how do we reconnect with nature? How do we resolve some of these big environmental issues that we have? And the answers lie in that part of the earth framework is the descent, the TH, the E, the D. And that's very true of culture. That's very true of our lives individually. And yet it is where the most medicine lies. It's where those, the things that we most yearn for, to, to feel spacious and free of, of those big energetic burdens that we carry from our pain, from our trauma, whether that be individual or collective. And it's where we actually start to uncover our personal soul purpose. It's where we begin to feel the animate, feel life in our bodies so we don't feel so alone. Like I haven't really met many people in the world that haven't told me I don't feel like I belong and and the, the place that we find our belonging ironically is in that in those final parts of the cycle the final parts of the earth framework I I had an experience personally where I had a period of insomnia maybe a couple of years ago and it was so it was like torture but I was out in the forest one time and I just couldn't sleep for days. It was so terrible. And I thought, okay, well, what is this experience offering me as teaching? And as I laid in my tent and just let go and surrendered to the fact of trying to, or surrendered to trying to get to sleep, I had this incredibly, like, I, it was as if I was on kind of some, some, some kind of um, medicine and I had this experience of all the mycelium underneath me and then growing over me and communicating with me. And what I realised is that when we die, when we have these experiences of, you know, the finally letting go and just surrendering, the place where we experience the most incredible felt sense of belonging is in our death. We don't question, uh, we don't question or we don't feel anarchy about what we have to do there's just this deep letting go and in our letting go 
the mycelium comes and utilizes our body and we get transformed into um, things that nurture the environment around us. And I, when I was in this very insomniatic state, I realized, oh my gosh, the thing that we run from with great terror as a culture and personally, that experience of death is actually in when we're talking about its place in the cycle, it's where we experience the most profound sense of belonging. Um, it's where we realize without question, because we feel it, that we are innately connected and we innately belong just because we're a human being on earth. You don't have to do anything. You just It's just the quality of your being. So, yeah, I'm glad that you shared that part about the ascension versus um, descension in terms of our mindset culturally around it. There's so many thoughts in my head and I'm like so conscious. I'm like, I have, a, I still have questions. I'm like, so I, I just want to say thank you for sharing that. And I'm not going to add anything because we'll just talk for another hour around it, I think, otherwise. But thank you so much. That is the, just the most profound and deep medicine that just resonates so deeply with me. And yeah, I just think it's the, it's the point that it is the point that we miss. Yeah. If you are feeling a deep stirring somewhere in your body right now, as you listen to this conversation, if you feel called to dive even deeper into the wisdom of the earth, of cycles, of somatic and embodied wisdom and the feminine mysteries, I've got the next step for you. The Wild Woman Trove is a collection of over 40 intimate classes which span the breadth and depth of feminine wisdom. This is a one-time purchase with lifetime access to the most incredible wise women, thought leaders and embodied wisdom keepers. Whether you are just dipping your toe into cyclical living or you're deep along your journey of rewilding, there is plenty to whet your appetite inside the trove. Each of the 44 classes are broken into six main categories and they are earth kinship and cosmic wisdom, body wisdom and female physiology, cyclical power for hormones and cyclical energy, sacred birth and motherhood, feminine business, and feminine mysteries. Now, if you're loving this episode, I think you'll particularly love these talks within the trove. Foraging and herbalism, remembering our belonging to the earth with Jay Schwartz, dark goddess and womb initiation, descent into embodiment with Audrey Jean, death and the feminine with Hannah Grace Taylor, Sacred Water with Arnwen Avalon, and of course, Womb Mysteries, Walking the Womb Path with Jasmine Rose. And that is just scratching the surface. The topics covered inside the trove are so rich and span such a vast array of knowledge. Seriously, like when you look at the names of the women teaching and sharing inside it, it'll blow your mind. And we gathered all of this wisdom into one cohesive place for you. So you don't have to feel lost or overwhelmed or unsure where to start. This is the place where you find the nectar that your soul has been searching for. You can access this rich library of deep dive talks and classes right now. You can head to the link in the show notes and take your time. Breathe it all in. 
follow the threads that call you once inside because your wise feminine soul knows the way. Now, let's dive back into this delicious conversation. I'm really curious then. So we have this framework and Mm. I can see and feel how it's reflected, as we said, in the cycles and the patterns. Mm. And we can take this as kind of like a way to understand and sort of it gives us the framework to start to bring ourselves back in and to start looking or perceiving, I suppose, of the way we're showing up in the world, in our life, a little bit differently. It's just another lens to to look at it through. How do we start to actually do that then? How Mm. do we begin to like bring the earth framework tangibly into the way that we live our lives? Mm, That's a really good question. And I think that will look very different for everybody, depending on your personal place where you're at, um, your culture, um, your local ecology. Uh, And I am developing the earth framework. I'm still in my PhD at the moment, but my goal is to actually offer this as a kind of practitioner training so other people can utilize this in their own way that feels appropriate for them. Because essentially it's a map. It's a, it's a map that you, anyone can use and apply in their context. And I used to teach it. I used to um, take women out on country and guide them through this. But over the years, as I um, kind of spent a lot of time developing my own passion for bushcraft and ancestral skills and, and rewilding, things like that, I started to weave those in um, when I would apply the earth framework. So my unique application of it, apart from lots of somatic stuff, was weaving in these ancestral skills. And I noticed how effective it was because instead of just communicating some of these kind of theoretical points and concepts, um, it provided another gateway for people to have that somatic understanding themselves. You know, we could do, yes, body-based practices and kind of different somatic exercises. But I found in my experience when I was talking about like our capacity to create and the merging of the masculine feminine energies internally in us and how we can tap into our capacity as a sovereign creator in the world and and transform victim consciousness internally, but not just conceptually, like in our bodies. And rather than talk about that and guide particular things, I found making fire with your bare hands was the greatest teacher and model for that. Because instead of me talking about, oh, you'll face these different phases and you'll come across this different stuff, when I started teaching women how to create fire and connect with that animate force, which is like the, the ultimate creator and destroyer, it was the most like swiftest somatic <laughs> embodiment um, or it, like the transmission of information that I could ever t- um, teach verbally. So to, to carve something with your bare hands, to actually a- apply that level of prayer and presence and birth something from nothing when you make fire you are calling you are calling upon an ancient animate force and asking it to be with you and essentially creating something in the world where it was not before and for women who doubt their capacity to do that in their lives they're like i don't back myself i I doubt myself i don't know if i have the capacity to do this like i'm not good enough if there's any narrative of that going on 
um, getting a woman on fire and absolutely, it's kind of like a birthing process. It's like everybody cries. It's a full midwifery process, but you like tap into this primal place and it is like birthing. Like there's, there's grunting going on. There's like verbal support going on. And then when that baby cold comes, it's like, and uh, even metaphorically or symbolically rather, you know, we're using a, a kind of phallic-like rod um, in our in our spindle and connecting it with a baseboard, which has a beautiful little um, a circle with a V in there, and we're rubbing it together to create friction, and enough friction is the thing that births the coal. And so ironically, like, could you get more of a perfect example of creation than that? Put the little coal in the little womb nest and blow it into, breathe, breathe the breath of life into creation. And so... Each, that's just one example, but each ancestral skill I found was like a portal into these methods of connection and and places on the earth framework. And I practice these skills maybe really differently to a lot of people I see out there because uh, a lot of the narrative, not so much in Australia, but definitely globally, um, ancestral skills and particularly sort of like that survival world, it's very much man versus wild, like us versus nature. We've got to fight to survive. It's really tough out there. Like we've got to really battle the odds type of thing. And we see this on a lot of TV shows and it's pitting us against the natural world. It's saying that, you know, there's this awful force that we have to conquer. And it's really interesting when we think about our personal or cultural relationship with the wild feminine and how that's very reflective of that and so instead of teaching through that lens of combat I teach through the lens of connection and instead there is a, a sense of openness to these animate beings these animate forces that we are can ally ourselves with or can receive information from um, as we work with them so when, when we're weaving you know instead of just being like okay this is what you harvest and this is how you weave with it. It's like, well, be really aware what's occur what is occurring in your body when you're weaving. You know, what are these, what's the relationship you're building with these fibres? And even the act of weaving in itself triggers what's called an alpha brainwave state, which is a particular brainwave state that's correlated with meditation, with accessing the subtle realms. And so when we're weaving, our bodies somatically are actually primed for learning, primed for healing, primed for connection. Um, this is why women around, we've found that around a women in a circle doing weaving actually share themselves so much more deeply because all of the mind chatter around, will I belong? Am I going to say the right thing? And those fibres are the, are the thing that facilitates that. You know, that's why we share so intimately when we're sitting around a fire you'll probably notice this in your own life it's like you know you light a fire and just the presence of that particular animate force that ancestral being um opens us in a way that can't really be explained it's like we just feel um we feel more receptive we feel more open we feel safer and so that's why i weave in a lot of these skills it's because not only are there um are these natural beings that we work with very informative they provide a lot of information but um, working with them also opens us it's like it wakes up part of us that has been asleep for a long time 
And I used to call the women, the women's journey that I ran, I used to call it sovereignty. Because in addition to just the, the lovely sense of connectedness, when we start working with these, we tap into the energy of, of sovereignty that has been kind of asleep in us for a long time. And I talk about sovereignty in the sense that we do not give our power away to any other force that may or may not have our best interest in mind. This might be um, like in your personal relationships, this could be a relationship with the government, this could be a relationship with money, this could be any relationship where you feel that you have in some way given over your power because you doubt your capacity um, as a sovereign creative being. And when we start to work with these ancestral skills and you start to make fire with your hands, you can build a shelter with, you know, and, and, and connect in that way. You can weave the things. It's not that we're going to go and run out into the bush and suddenly survive off the land, but the fact that you know that you can and the fact that you know that you have a, like an allyship with all these elements that, are, that give you a sense of resilience outside of any system or outside of anyone else, that is a very powerful feeling to experience in your body. I can't really like tell you words until you experience it. I see it all the time in fire. It like wakes up something inside of us that's been dormant for a long time. And suddenly the, it's like the, the frequency of sovereignty switches on again. It's like, wait a second, I will not live in fear um, anymore because I know that I've got me and I know that earth has got me and I know that I am not alone, I belong, and I am not going to change my behaviour or walk through the world um, living with an with a under, underlying tone or a frequency of fear because I am free, I, I belong, and I am sovereign and I'm going to be okay. And so that's also why I love these skills and why they support the earth framework so much because... In essence, that's also a big part of like a, a side benefit of going through the earth framework is when we connect to our bodies, when we connect to nature, and when we know our innate soul purpose, um, which is the kind of the goal of the whole earth framework, those three things, when we have those, we're very difficult to control. <laughs> we're not under the influence anymore, you know, and we can stand as sovereign, connected, powerful beings again. And so it's kind of like the the natural the natural outcome of it. So, yeah, those that's that's why weaving in those ancestral skills is such a a beautiful complement to it. I like the word resourced is what comes to me. It's just like that that feeling of like I'm resourced to to live my life, and in a way that's not dependent, and in a way that's not codependent, where I don't need another. Um, and it's not, it's when we look at it from the, the earth framework, it's not from that place of individu individuation where it's like, I don't need you, I don't need anyone. Um, but it's it's this complete different sort of relationship to the world around us and to like and to self, essentially. Oh, so beautiful. I'm really curious. I'd love to like hear, because I, I feel like this would be the question that I would be like wanting to ask as well if I was listening. So I'm just going to ask it. Um, so for those listening um, around again, like, okay, how do I like bring the earth framework into my life? How do I start to actually engage with it in a tangible way? Um, and what you really shared here is around ancestral skills, which just like really lights me up. Um, I wonder if you could maybe give us 
maybe two answers here. One, could you just like share with us, just list some of these ancestral skills? I know you you kind of did, but like if you could just like give us an idea for those who are listening going, well, what would that look like? What could I go and essentially sort of seek to, to learn? Um, and also what, because for most people listening probably, that's something that they're going to have to actively go out and and learn from another um, or seek that information out in a specific way. Is there also some sort of suggestions that you might share around like how we might start to engage with the earth framework um, really in order to come home to our body and to the earth on a, I want to just say like a, a more daily basis, like something that's like super, super accessible for most of us as well? It's a very, very good question. And I'll answer, I'll answer them two separately. Um, the first one is, you know, how to start this kind of journey into um, those ancestral skills or what are some of the key ones that we cover. And, and we do a lot of different but, uh, either hard skills like, uh, you know, fire making, weaving, et cetera, and then there's softer skills, which is really around awareness mm. um, and our capacity as sensory connected beings in that way. Like this is where we see the magical capacity of what human beings can actually do. Um, you know, we're very, very much more intuitive and in some ways even shamanic than, than we realise everybody. But I would say a great starting point um, is what I would call the sacred order of survival. Um, I learnt this from my mentors who learnt from Tom Brown Jr. at the Tracker School. And the sacred order of survival is a very tried and tested uh, method of survival that considers the, the essential ingredients for physical survival if we were ever lost in the bush. But it's also very practical for our journeys in our modern lives as well to consider in terms of um, building our sovereignty. And it, they call it the sacred order because you follow one after the other, like number one's the most important and then further, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so on the sacred order, shelter is number one. Shelter is really critical for not only our sense of kind of nervous system and comfort, but um, as we know, like it's why human beings live in houses. It's why we feel so um, challenged when we have our housing situation not stable. It's because it really throws us, um, it throws our nervous system. So practicing uh, or recognizing um, how, how much sovereignty right now do we have over our shelter? And can I practice building a shelter? Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and stay in it, but can that be something that you practice? How does knowing how to build a, build a, a shelter or even putting a tent up <laughs> and staying there how does that influence your level of resilience in the world with regards to housing so shelter is number one and that is a skill that we um that we practice in the work that i do um water is number two shelter water and water is um as it says where are you getting your water from are you getting your water straight from the tap that's often been treated that's often have you know you're out of control of somebody else's providing that for you and you're paying money for that. Yet there's these incredible wild sources of water that we can access and that we can connect with. And I always talk about this, like we pay lots of money to go out and do these plant medicine ceremonies and yet there is the most potent medicine in wild water 
um, the water cycle, like the way that the water cycle works on the planet Earth is that your ancestors, no matter who they are or where they came from, even if you don't know, they drank from that same water source. They sung at that, that same water source. And so if you're feeling disconnected, all the information about your connectivity is encoded into water. There's so many things about water that I won't go down that rabbit hole, but mm. um, starting to uh, starting to consider your your water source is is maybe a pathway of connection. The next is fire. When you think about fire, it's not just like lighting a fire in your backyard. We use fire for everything. Um, I'm talking cooking. We we use it for having a shower. We use it every like we use it for our cars. Anything that requires that kind of fire, heat, combustion, that is all from fire. We rely on fire so much more than we realise. And so whoever holds the power of fire holds the power over everything. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. our electricity. It's our electricity when we switch it on. And mm -hmm. so fire is a powerful gateway for sovereignty as a result of that. If you know how to make fire, um, even with a flint, if you're not ready to make it by hand, um, that can be a really potent tool. And fire is just a very healing uh, presence to connect with. It's that great transmuter. It's the great alchemist. So fire would be a skill to develop. You've got shelter, water, fire, and then last is food. Um, harvesting your own food or growing your own food. How can you build a relationship with this, your source of nourishment? And in the work that I do, we talk about wild food consciousness. Yes, of course, growing your own food and permaculture gardens are amazing. But is there wild foods in your local ecology which are grow seasonally and therefore contain very specific nutrients that is required for that season in your body? Um, and they also contain a consciousness of that place. So if you're feeling disconnected, one of the most accessible ways is to start finding out some of your local wild food. So you're literally um, in, like taking in the consciousness of the land that you're on in, that's um, in those plants. So shelter, water, fire, food. Um, another one, so they're the kind of places that I would start. Um, woven into shelter a little bit though that I, I kind of um, didn't mention is weaving and fibre craft mm -hmm. because when you're building a shelter and just in general when you're um, as a kind of key skill that isn't really mentioned but actually goes into each one of those four categories is fibre craft. So learning how to do weaving or cordage, like string making, and so we do that on the programs. Um, food, well, I, I've, um, apart from harvesting food, also there's the tracking and hunting element as well, of course. So if you choose to eat meat, where are you sourcing that from? Are you participating in that cycle of life and death as well actively by either hunting it yourself or becoming friends with your local hunter or farmer. Um, so those are the four areas of sacred order of survival that I would suggest starting at and we cover each of those at the um, skills, skill programs that I teach. And then the second question is like, well, if maybe if you're not ready to dive into those particular skills or you're just dipping your toe in and uh, where's a place to start? What's a really accessible place? Maybe if you're not even financially able to invest in, in programs to, all, to learn these skills um, or, you know, you're just watching YouTube or something. And I would say the most accessible and funnily enough, the most transformative place 
and this goes no matter if you're a very beginner or if you're way advanced, is start looking at your relationship to light. Here we are at the summer solstice, which is our lightest time of the year in the southern hemisphere. It's the peak of the sun. And this is the time, no wonder, where we're like out and we're bustling and things are busy. It's like that peak energy. And this is very different to the northern hemisphere, which they're in their winter solstice, which is very insular. It's coming in. It's dreaming up. It's like dancing in the void. And looking at our relationship to light and how it influences our lives is like, as I said, the most overlooked but effective form of reconnection that I think that there is. And the reason this is the case, it's strange that it gets so overlooked because if you look across all human history, all human cultures, they had ceremonies or some kind of acknowledgement of the solstices, the equinoxes, these different transitions of light throughout the year and what they meant for our human culture at the time, whether it be what we're growing, what we're harvesting, where we're moving towards because of the different local ecological um, conditions. We look at a lot of the major temples and shrines. They are most often honouring the sun gods and goddesses or they're, or they're trying to capture the passing of time, like monuments that are basically big clocks. What are they watching? They're watching the passing of light. Um, even when I was up in Mirawong country, which is up in um, the Kimberleys in Australia, the, the, when different star formations would come up into the sky, it would be the marker that said, oh, we've got to do that particular ceremony or we've got to move on this particular thing or actually now, now is the time to pause. Until that star constellation comes in, we're pausing, nothing's happening. And there's this attention to the meta environment. So it's not just like the, the solar and lunar cycles, the one that feels more present in our life here on Earth, but one of the allies actually in the Earth framework is astrological. And it talks about the different, like the meta environment, the influence of the meta environment, which at a simple level is all about what light is available to us, what light codes are coming in from the different transitions of stars and planets. So looking at history, <laughs> and we realised, wait a second, all human life, like, completely, completely was oriented by light, everything that we did. So if light is this like incredibly powerful force, can we start to align ourselves with those cycles of light to bring us into a deeper sense of embodied connectivity? And not only is that good for our physical well-being, but you'd also be surprised about the embodied information that comes through when we align ourselves to the light cycles. Um, there's actually a study called chronobiology and it's the it's a field of research that studies the influence of solar and lunar influences on living organisms because light contains information light contains really critical information embodied information that is received by all living bodies on earth and then informs our our, our way forward and so I would say the most accessible and yet now we look at history and realise, oh, wait a second, it's the most effective and like normal natural thing ever is start aligning your life with the, with the light cycles. Start, um, see if you can wake up when that sun is beginning to um, rise in the day and then at night time when the sun goes away and there's darkness, how can you kind of stay in that darkness 
by not switching main lights on, maybe using red light or lighting candles? Um, how can you start to be aware of the full moon and the, um, and the dark moon? Funnily enough, if you start reducing a lot of those influential artificial lights, sorry, at nighttime, you'll start to maybe notice influences on your menstrual cycle if you're a woman. You know, how do we go out and celebrate the summer solstice and how do we maybe light a fire or light a candle and, and be with the energies in the winter solstice? Start to align your life, align your every day with these light cycles and I guarantee you will see the most, like, surprising changes <laughs> because just that simple process of exposing yourself to the different changes in light that's all the information in there. That's the cycle. That's the earth framework. Um, you're living it by, by relating to light and, as an ally and using it in your favour. So that's what I would say is a great starting point that's, like, accessible to anybody. Oh, I love it so much. And it's like, you know, you talk about belonging as well. Like I, I found as well, like when we, especially with, like, the just even just the daily, the daily sun cycle, um, when we when we tune to or attune to that, even if it's just by like that marker of like you know dawn and dusk, like if we tune in to to those moments at least at the very least, I always find that they're the most kind of liminal and potent like to to be with. Um, but even just by tuning into to that, you naturally become so much more aware of every other sort of element that is tuned into that as well like the the bird I think of it as the bird cycle but like <laughs> the, the birds um like in our in our neighborhood in our yard and like who comes in when who's in our yard at what time um like I can expect certain bird friends basically at certain times um and like yeah not just that though like just the the whole movement of the world around me and in my locality like my environment is responding every single day to the same light cycle. Um, and so when we talk about belonging as well, it's like I, I can, when you start to learn the details, when you start to tune in and learn all of the threads that are kind of in this tapestry, which you are a part of, you mm -hmm. find that you're sort of, you feel yourself sort of slot into place because you recognize, like the moment you start recognizing um, the patterns essentially, there is a homecoming in that. Um, it's so, so potent and, and powerful. So oh, I just love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, such a pleasure because you're so right. There's the, there's the beautiful feeling of like belonging and connection, like you're slotting into place. And also there's the beautiful reward of you just feel really good. Because yeah. That's exactly how our bodies are designed. We are exactly like those birds. <laughs> yeah. That's the cycle of the day and how it affects all the different animals that's also us. Yeah. You know, the different that in that study of chronobiology is that the amount of light that is received by our eyes through our eyes triggers different detoxing or different process of our individual organs. Chinese medicine talk a lot about this. And so when you actually start to align with these cycles, it's not just conceptually, oh, look, I'm aligning with these cycles. I'm now connected. It's like, no, you actually feel amazing. Mm. You're like, oh, my God, this, why did I not do this for so long? Not only do I feel more at one with nature, but I'm actually embodying my true nature, which is wellness and thriving um, when you come back into that. Mm. 
Oh my goodness. Okay. As we, as we start to bring this, this whole conversation to a close, I have a few quick rapid fire questions that I wonder if you're ready, ready for. Ooh, shoot them at me. <laughs> first, first one, which is more for my benefit. I just love, I just love knowing these, these things. What are your top three in astrology? Yeah. So I am a Scorpio sun. Great harm. Yeah. <laughs> I've got so many Scorpio placements, it's not even funny. Um, I have a Pisces moon and then I'm a Aries rising. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course you are. Oh, I love it so much. And it brings in so much like the the depth and this true deep understanding of like of the cycle, not just the cycle, but the, the, the point of transformation, the point of like transmuting energy essentially with Scorpio. And then it's like the like the, the vast interconnectedness and the sensitivity to the world and and spirit and source and energy and then it's like it's the spark of Aries like it's the let's go kind of initiatory bringing forth the fire um oh, like, let's go and let's go down baby. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh that's brilliant okay sorry this is a quick fire but yes I love it so Scorpio, Pisces, Aries. Amazing. My next question is what nourishes you right now? So what is a practice that really brings you home to your body and to the earth at the moment? Mm-hmm. Well, as a double water, and I've got way more water in my chart as well, I am a huge ocean baby. And so going and having time with the ocean, it's my time of just being. And I do lots of walking on the beach and very consciously going for swims. I often go for like nice, nice naked swims. And I find the ocean has been like a lifelong ally for me. I always receive really important information and it's often around slowing, slowing down. Uh, but that's my nourishing practice. That's I've had periods of my life where I've lived away from the ocean and I've definitely noticed the impact of that. So thankfully where I live, I'm literally a street back from the ocean. So I roll out of bed and and just go be with her and that's my nourishing practice is ocean walks and those salty swims oh amazing next question is if you could recommend one book that every person should read in their path of Mm -hmm. weaving the wild back into their life what would it be definitely courting the wild twin by dr martin shaw i come back to that book i've probably listened to it because i'm audible um, person, I audio book, sorry, person. And I've probably listened to that book like 10 times. <laughs> there is always such potent information and I'm a big myth lover. I love these old stories and what they can teach us. And so uh, Dr. Martin Shaw is like one of my favourite mythologists and uses myth to unpack this journey of personal and cultural transformation. And there's so many parts of the earth framework that are woven in there. It's talks about our our journey to finding our personal wild twin which is really our soul so I highly recommend that to anybody on this path amazing I'll pop that in the the show notes as well that has been on my kind of like the my wish list so to speak like I've had it there for so long but I've never actually read it so you've just inspired me I'm like almost ready like to for the next book that I've got to pick so might have to be that one I think I took took way screenshots like when I listen to it on audible I'm like screenshot okay remember that (laughs) come back to that point (laughs) 
<laughs> Amazing. Final question is how are you currently weaving your wild at the moment? So is there anything at the moment that you are doing or exploring or feeling called to kind of follow in your own rewilding journey? Mm, that's a really great question. So it's a bit it's a bit unique actually at the moment. It's a path that I'm really loving uh, and it's not necessarily intellectual because I'm going through it in my own body but I'm exploring the patterns of addiction. I've noticed that that's one of the big hurdles that actually prevents us from connecting to our internal wildness or our, our, our own bodies, for example. And so I've been going down this big neuroscience <laughs> wormhole, um, learning about addiction and really reflecting on that in my own life and doing my own internal work. So it sounds a bit like left of center, but in some ways, it is that journey of transmute and harvest. How how does addiction actually block our capacity for deep connection and, and feeling that animate world flow up and through us? And it's informing a lot more of the earth framework, this, this avoidance of pain, which is what addiction is really. It's like how does our avoidance of pain influence our capacity to actually experience pleasure? So that's my that's my little study at the moment. Um, that and Gene Keys, it's like consistently Gene Keys. I'm a Gene Key nerd is my, my weaving the wild. But that, both of those things are a bit more intellectual, but I'm definitely practising them in my body, in my um, personal life. So that's, that's my current journey. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that as well. I wonder, is there anything as we do kind of come to a close, is there anything else that's on your heart today, Britt, anything that you feel called to share or that you would love for the listener to kind of take with them after listening to this conversation? Mm, I would love to offer or like a permission slip for whenever someone listens to this, the tendency when you listen to a podcast that's that's really resonated is like, oh, I want to go out and look for the courses and look for the things and there's this like panic moment of I feel so behind and yeah. <laughs> wanting to invest in the things. And actually the most powerful medicine you could do to like really feel this if you if this has landed for you is to go put down the devices go put down the phone and have this be your permission slip to whether it be 20 minutes or an hour and just go lay on the grass or find a place in nature where you can just be and instead of panicking and feeling like oh you've got all this work to do now is actually that is probably the place where you will find the greatest sense of clarity is let it go and just be and saturate yourself in the natural light breathe in consciously like tune into what's going on within your body somatically and and know that you're perfectly where you are like everybody here is on their personal soul path and you don't have to rush and actually the more that you can practice being, the closer that you will get to um, that deep sense of fulfilment and belonging. Oh, I love it. That's actually one of my favourite things to do. Like my most favourite practices is to just go and be on the grass. And, you know, I'm just going to add before we do close, like with that, I just want to add to it where if you go and do so and you find yourself, you think you're doing it wrong because your mind is racing, mm. sit with it. 
Like mm-hmm. I, I always find like that's it's, that's kind of the point. I find the same thing with meditation where everyone says, I can't meditate, I, I'm, I'm, like I just think too much basically and I can't get into that point of meditation. And it's like I, I feel like the point of going and sitting out on the grass to start with is to let your mind do its thing and think the thoughts enough for you to actually slow down in your thoughts because so much of the time we're going through our day um, same thing like when we get into bed at night, if you get into bed at night and your mind starts racing, it's probably because it's the first time the whole day where you've had enough kind of blank space essentially to start to think about all the things that your mind's holding inside basically. And that's why often I find like if I haven't been in like, if I haven't been meditating for a while, it takes a while to like get back into practice, so to speak, when my mind's like settled enough or feel safe enough to like simmer down um but to start with it is it is racing and often if I if I haven't been going out and sitting on the lawn or sitting outside in nature when I do start to go back and do that my mind does sort of like want to do its thing and and think all the thoughts and stuff but it does come if you sit there for just just long enough you find the point where the thoughts have sort of slowed down and you don't even notice it's happened and you mm. realize that you're looking up into the tree and you hadn't actually really even realized that that's what you were doing you were just staring into the branches or staring up at a particular cloud that's the point of it like that is the point um and then you're there so it is like it's, it's the most um sort of uncomfortable practice for so many of us I think because we think we do it wrong when we first start doing it but I think that is like that means it's the most important medicine probably for you it's so true and this may be dropping a bomb like as we depart (laughs) I find the mind is such a powerful and effective protector that's what it's trying to do the mind is based in survival and so it's trying to protect us and so the reason why it goes cr- so crazy in those moments or just throughout the day is because there's actually something that it's um, it doesn't want you to feel. It means mm-hmm. that there's something there to feel that the mind like goes, don't feel that, don't feel that. And and the gift is actually can can we be with that and recognize no I'm I'm actually fine I've got this and it doesn't have to be feeling all of the you know twenty years of whatever you haven't felt. It's just. Can I just be with my body right now? Can I focus on the sensations? My go-to is feeling my feet. So taking my energy and awareness from my headspace and I take it to my feet. Even when I'm walking down to the ocean, I'm like, and it's almost like your your feet are guiding you or your feet are taking in all the information. It's it's a fascinating experience. But mm. yeah, the more that you can practice being in your body, kind of the more that you're communicating to your mind, hey. We're actually safe here in the body, so it's all good. We're okay. <laughs> yeah, I got this. It's all good. Thanks for the protection, but I'm I'm good. We're, so we're safe to be here in this body. Yeah, amazing. Red, I could speak to you all day. I would gladly, gladly do so. How can we find you? How can we we connect further with your work as well? Mm, thank you so much. It's I absolutely adored chatting with you. So. Um, I would love to connect further with any community members that uh, that are inspired. You can find me on Instagram at Brittany Jane Laidlaw and my website is um, www.brittanyjanelaidlaw.com. That's where you'll find my programs. I run primarily women's, women's work online and also kind of immersive in-person programs in Australia. 
uh, and that'll expand further to I'm work. I'm teaching actually a group of men the Earth Framework to start getting men's programs going as well. But just in time, I, I don't mind the slow pace and um, stable, but sl slow and steady progress. <laughs> so Amazing. that's fine to me. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today, Britt. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Weaving the Wild podcast. I'm walking my path here on Jaja Wurrung country and I acknowledge the Jaja Wurrung elders past and present.